0: What's going on everybody? Welcome back to the YDK Podcast. Long layoff, but as you can see we did some little remodeling. And I'm super excited for this next episode and to really kick off bringing us back. I'm your host Ryan Sutton, where we're talking about things really everyone needs to know when you don't know what you don't know. And I got my man, one of my really good friends, I've gotten the pleasure to get to know this man for the last year, work with him. And he's been a true inspiration through his story, his work ethic. I got my man Alec Hirsch here with me today, dude. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for being on the show, bro. Yeah,
1: man. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited, especially to break in the new podcast room we got
0: here. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Super excited to have you here. Uh, we have so much to dive in, dude. You so much, I'm super excited to get really your testimony of your life, dude. It's been a wild story. And uh, just to give you guys background, kind of how H- Alec and I met, i uh, it's actually, what, this time last year, huh?
1: Yeah, we're, we're a little over the year mark now, but uh, yeah, it's been about a year year and a month, year and two months, so you want, yeah.
0: You want to give a little insight to really how we met?
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, my, our boy Zeke, uh, the reason why we're all here to begin with, uh, he's been trying to get me to do door-to-door sales for years and years, basically since he started it, and uh, I just was content with where I was at in life. I was a carpenter. Had a career Uh, I thought I was comfortable you know had a had a good name for myself in the carpenter industry and uh, in that industry it's not a matter of if you're out of work but when and uh, he just so happened to reach out to me when I was out of work and I was out on a like signature petition, petition blitz for with Vivint which Zeke used to work with Vivant event before. And it was like a guaranteed four grand for like two weeks. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, why not? Like, yeah. you know, make some money. I'm not doing anything else. He saw I was out there and he gave me a call and he's he like, what are you doing? I told him what was going on and he, he laughed. And he said, man, when you're done messing around, give me a call. And if you want to make some real money, come out here. That's why I'm like, whatever, you know? So at the end of that, like, Uh, five days later I gave him a call when I got back home and he you guys were on the Blitz in McAllen Mm -hmm. and he said uh, hey I'll buy you a plane ticket you know come out here try it out you ain't doing nothing what do you got to lose you know you don't spend any money if you like it great if not hey at least we tried and we know you don't like it now right so I was literally home for 24 hours hopped back on another flight and flew out to McAllen Texas and uh landed on a Sunday, which is a day that you guys i think you guys had just got there, or something yeah, um, yeah, so I was there for for the blitz, and we actually a funny story to add on that. We all went and got tattoos that night <laughs> before I even knocked the door, got nest listening tattoo on uh, right above my knee with the boys Yes, they part of the club, yep, yep, so uh that's kinda how it started, and uh met the gang there, and yeah that uh. I think it was the second night where we kind of had that uh those tearjerkers going on. Uh, kind of did that training uh, vulnerability and stuff like that, and uh, opening up. And yeah, we talked about some pretty crazy stuff. And uh, yeah, you you sat in a room with
0: twenty people. You literally you knew two people in that whole room. One. Really, just Zeke, right? Just one. Yeah, you, you didn't really know Ty, mm-hmm. his brother, but you didn't know any of us. Mm-mm. And you felt this. I don't know what you felt, but the comfortability to be even able to share some dark things that you had gone through and what you had dealt with and yeah. really, like, break down in front of everyone. Yeah. And like, no, was... What was that like, just, like, walking into a room of people you didn't really know and felt comfortable enough to, like, actually just break down and cry in front of these guys and girls that you literally never knew and just immediately felt like family?
1: Yeah, it was a... Uh... It's definitely very interesting because I remember uh, we are going around the room and everyone was kind of sharing their story. Well, I was like one of the last ones to go. So, you know, hearing everyone else's stories going around that circle and that kind of gave me the time to reflect on what everyone else is talking about. And I've always been the type of person to, uh, I keep things to myself, you know, I don't talk about stuff especially like that, you know, we got pretty deep and a lot of people got deep and... It gave me a whole new perspective on, uh, you know, you you really don't know what other people are going through in life and what they have gone through. And, you know, some people had, uh, you know, a lot worse things than than what I went through in different aspects, obviously, you know what I mean? Uh, Everyone's got their own struggles, but it made it a lot easier to kind of open up about some stuff that I've never really talked about. Uh, Granted, Zeke knew some of the stuff uh, prior because... Me and Zeke go pretty pretty far back. Uh we've I've seen him rock bottom. We're rock bottom together, but yeah. yeah, just uh getting to that point, uh talking about that stuff. I, I remember it was hard for me to get it out at first. And it slowly started to come out more and more, and yeah, just the water work started happening, and you know, that goes back to like just what came out was like the background of uh, my, my childhood in a way yeah um teenage years and stuff like that like the struggle with my mom uh battling addiction and stuff like that and yeah dude it was a it was a real big eye opener uh, I've never felt more welcomed and invited by a group of people that i've never met before yeah. in my entire life and you know not just this opportunity that this job is in, in sales for like solar and stuff alone but uh just the environment that we have here, the culture was uh, just unmatched.
0: I feel that. I definitely agree. So let's kind of dive into you. You mentioned like your story, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the things that you kind of dealt with. Now I ain't gonna try and tear jerk you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it gets to that point, hey, you know that's, that's it is what it is. Hundred uh, percent. But um, I remember I, I connected really deeply with you, man, because I understand. You know, from my background, and, and I feel like for some reason it just brings a lot of us together when we share similar, similar trials and tribulations growing up, right? Like I definitely connected when you were talking about your relationship with your mom. I have a very similar dealing with my mom's addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. You know? um, tell me, tell me a little bit, because you grew up in Vegas, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I pretty much grew up in... Uh, well, I grew up in a small little country town outside of Vegas. Um, I grew up racing dirt bikes, as you know. Uh, that was a big part of my life. It was supposed to be uh, a career for me at one point in time. You know, that, that was the plan, that was the goal, and it was, it was looking like it was going to happen. And uh, I was born in California... Uh, we lost our house in the Northridge earthquake, I believe it was in like 94. Oh wow. So I was, I was only a year old at that point, so I don't remember it, but yeah. uh, I was born in 93 and, uh, we moved to Vegas, um, basically started over fresh because had nothing. Um, whole family moved to Vegas and lived out in Vegas until I was about like eight or so. And then, uh, that's when... Uh, racing was starting to get pretty serious for me at that point my dad got me on a bike at three years old so i've been riding pretty much my whole life and um we moved to logandale nevada which is like a small little country town about an hour outside of vegas gotcha and the main reason we moved out there was for riding um there's tons of area for it out there i was able to ride right out of my garage and you know had endless amounts of trails track whatever you know i wanted to go ride and uh yeah so Lived out in Loganville, Nevada, from basically fifth grade up until my senior year before I moved back to Vegas. Mm, Okay. So when you were uh, living
0: out in Logan, Loganville, right? Loganville. Loganville. Yeah. Like growing up with your family, give me some aspects of like what that was like for you. Like, what was your childhood growing up like when you were riding? Like, obviously, I I come from a motocross background. Like, my brother rode professionally. Mm -hmm. My uncle rode professionally. Like, I understand like that what that can do for your life like growing up like how big of an impact was riding motocross for you especially like going through like any family trials growing up
1: yeah no 100 percent. it was big for me it was uh it's always been my stress reliever it still is to this day um for those that for those of you that know what it's like to to ride and stuff like that it's uh there's no better feeling than it and i wish everyone would get the chance to be able to experience how it feels to hop on a bike and stuff like that but yeah uh my childhood uh, you know, younger years, like when we first moved out there, uh, stuff was good. Um, a little before that, it it was great. You know, my, my mom was a picture perfect mother, very loving, caring, uh, I was around like age of seven or eight. And, uh, she had my little sister. Uh, I believe my little sister was born in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, uh, basically it started to go downhill from there with my relationship with my mom uh after she had my little sister she uh she got hooked on uh, morphine and xanax from the doctors that would prescribe it to her and uh it wasn't so bad at first um you know and growing up and going through that stuff like it progressively got worse and at the age that I was like experiencing it I wasn't I didn't know what was really going on I just knew my mom was starting to change in a in a bad way you know what I mean and um, yeah I got to the point to where it was it was really bad to where you know my dad still worked in Vegas so he would commute back and forth so you know there's a, a long time frame where I'd be home with just my mom you know during the morning getting ready for school and then obviously after school when I would get home and, uh, it did get to a point to where basically I, uh, wouldn't come straight home from school, like off the bus right. just cause I didn't want to be around it. Um, it was, you know, you mental had, abuse, uh, like seven, eight years old. Man. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was, it was, like I said, at that age, it wasn't so bad. Once I got to like middle school years, around like 12 13 is when that really started to get bad and uh that's when i you know was getting to the age to where i was old enough to kind of like think a little more clearly and kind of have a more uh like a better perspective in in a sense on something like that on what's going on what what would be best for me because of course when you're eight nine years old obviously you want to go home you know what i mean or you know whether or you go to a friend's house or something like that but that's something you always usually ask for parental permission at that age you know what i mean so yeah those uh that was tough but you know uh riding and racing and stuff uh through my life in my younger ages and uh even through my teenage years and stuff like that 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 was my crutch that was my that was my escape in a way so
0: so when uh when, you started, when did, when did riding become like a clear, like, you know, this could be my
1: path? Uh, you know, it started probably a few years after we had uh, moved out to Logandale. Um, I started to get really, really good. Um, I was good at a young age. Like, I, I won a number one plate. I won a championship on, on a 50. So my first championship I won, I was seven years old. Um so I mean granted I'm very young at that at that point in time so it it can go either way you know it's just the beginning and uh, around probably like I would say 11 or 12 was when I started to really like get really good and from that point on uh even at that age like I knew for myself that's what I wanted yeah I didn't do childhood sports and stuff like that strictly because i was so focused on racing and things like that so i would say around like the age of 12 is when you know my dad really noticed something in me as far as like how good i was getting and uh in my own mind as well like uh I'd, i've always known that was something i wanted to do really yeah.
0: okay for sure for sure so like when you when you were 12 13 you're picking up racing you realize like yo this is my thing and it sounds like dad really believed in you too.
1: Yeah, definitely. He was, a. my dad's a very old school, hardworking man. Yeah. Um, uh, basically he, he's, he drew, grew up in a generation where they didn't have YouTube videos to teach you how to do things or like whatever type of skill set it was. Yeah. My dad knows how to do just about everything. He, uh, he's a technician. So he's worked on, he works on cars for a living and He's really good at what he does, so uh, that made racing and stuff a lot easier for us because, obviously, you can work on cars, you can work on motorcycles. It's a little little less uh, technical aspect on a motorcycle compared to a car. So uh, racing motorcycles is not a cheap sport, stuff like that. So the fact he knew how to do a lot of that stuff as far as maintenance and, like, rebuilding motors if he had to, for instance, stuff like that, uh, it, it made it a lot more affordable for us. granted he still worked his his butt off to you know provide and uh basically give us give me that life of being able to race and enjoy it with him too and he raced with me as well so it was kind of like a a big father-son bonding time for us you know what i mean grew up doing it together so yeah uh very very appreciative of what he's done for me in my life and uh Basically, giving me the the pleasure of being able to experience racing and stuff growing up.
0: I love that, man. I love that. It's always good to have that. Someone, first of all, just to believe in you, and mm-hmm. then just to really like give an opportunity. Yeah. Right. And to have that bonding time, man, that's gotta be a treasure. It's Gotta yeah. be a treasure for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. Now I I know we've talked <laughs> about this. There was a there was a breaking point for you at around
1: sixteen. Yeah, yeah, it was around sixteen.
0: You had. You basically were on your own.
1: Yeah, pretty much. uh, Basically, at the age of 16, I hadn't lived with either of my parents since that age. Um, You know, it got to a point uh, a little prior to 16 where, you know, uh, me and my brother would kind of tell my dad what was going on at home uh, for several years with my mom like with what she was doing and stuff like that and it was like a light switch for her like when my dad would get home from work she, she would switch the crazy off
0: really so your dad like kind of just didn't really know what was going on, especially because he, he's gone right he's yeah. working all the time he's driving an hour back and forth yeah. every day so he didn't really see what you guys had to deal with at home
1: yeah pretty much so he'd be gone pretty much from like 5 30 6 in the morning till like 7 8 o'clock at night so he was pretty much gone all day you know what I mean? So we wouldn't really see him till he got home, and that was for a short amount of time, like for dinner or whatever, you know? And uh, most of the time, like, he, he would work Saturdays, too, so it would be Monday through Saturday. Like, he worked a lot, and uh, granted, Saturdays were half days for him, but still, like, yeah, still, like, still uh, like a full day with a driver. Right? Yeah, exactly. So with that, you know, uh, yeah, my mom got to a point where she was getting really bad as far as, like, mentally abusive physically abusive at some points in time. Really? And, uh, my older brother, he's, uh, he's like six or seven years older than me. Um, so at that time he, he was working like a part-time job and stuff, like after high school and all that. And, uh, basically, you know, when he was there, he'd be there to defend me and stuff. But when he was not, like, I'm I'm young, like 13, 14, stuff like that. Uh, so kind of like a weird aspect you know what I mean and you know we would tell my dad about like what was going on at home like what was happening and uh, he thought we were exaggerating he didn't believe us for the longest time you know so that's when it got to a point where I wouldn't come home after school until I'd see my dad pull up or whatever you know I'd stay outside uh, build jumps for my bicycle like I'd ride my bicycle to the bus stop and I'd leave it in a bush for after school or something (laughs) and uh hop on it and you know stay out until uh my dad got back home so i didn't have to deal with that crap you know what i mean so we dealt with that for quite a while and uh you know eventually got to a point where she couldn't hide the crazy anymore because the drugs were just you know consuming her and it was uh it it made her a completely different person and you know my dad started to see it because it started to happen to him too you know there was times where uh she was actually hitting him. And <clears throat> this, is, this was like the breaking point for it, where they were going through a divorce. And, uh, you know, it was the first time I ever seen my dad cry. Because he, it, it broke his heart that, uh, you know, he didn't believe us when we were telling him what was going on. Mm. Until he realized that we weren't lying. You know, that he saw, he was like, damn, if this is what they've been going through, like... You know what I mean? That was uh that was the breaking point and then uh yeah, they went through a divorce and my dad ended up getting a <clears throat> a new girlfriend. Funny story. Uh, sorry.
0: Thank you, Tell me uh before diving into kind of like what happened after the divorce, can you give me some aspect of like cuz there's people that go through that probably right now. Like yeah. they're 14, 15, 16. Or they have gone through it and maybe haven't dealt, like, or really, like, processed those emotions yeah. growing up, right? And that, we've talked pretty heavily on it. Like, you've you've definitely sifted through those emotions, <clears throat> processed a lot of it. And yeah. it took years, right?
1: For sure. I'm still working on it. Right. <laughs> Can
0: you give me some aspects or, like, just insight of really what it was like? Like, that time for you, going through it, like, what was your mentality How did you not allow that environment to truly like affect you or what was your outlet and then bring it to now, like looking back, like what would you tell Alec then?
1: What I would tell Alec then is just just keep doing what you're doing because I mean everything that I did leading up to now has made me who I am today and uh, you know, most people that experience what I experienced and go through like... What I went through, stuff like that, uh, <clears throat> typically don't don't end up where I'm at in life. You know, they usually either go down that rabbit hole and <clears throat> don't come back out of it. And uh, the the biggest thing I could say is just, you know, you're you're not the product of your environment. Uh, you're you're a product of your choices, right? So, uh, no matter with what I was around, <clears throat> like typically with stuff like that, people tend to either A, hey, let me do exactly what my mom did for this instance. Oops. Let me do exactly what my mom did for instance, right? And like, oh, what are these drugs like? What's this like? You know, why did she choose this over kids? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So, for instance, in that. Or, you know, hey, I saw what this did firsthand. I want nothing to do with it, so I'm never going to involve myself in something with that. And, you know, that's where uh, what I was saying you're not a product for your environment, but you're a product of your choices. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's capable of thinking for themselves, you know, and granted at a young age, it's a little, you need that guidance, you know, but still at the same time, you know, when, once you turn 16, you're, you're pretty much old enough to, to kind of think a little more clearly and, uh, you know, make more well thought out decisions, Sure. Yeah, granted, you're going to make dumb ones because oh, yeah. you're young, but that's, that's part of it, right? But, uh, you know, choosing how you view something like that, being around it, you know, is, is solely up to you and it, it's a mindset, I feel. And, you know, it's it's not as easy for everyone, granted, but uh, I believe that's where racing has played a big part in where I'm at today as far as, uh, you know, just having grit, being resilient. Um racing is very mental as well not just physical but it's very mental um so you got to be mentally tough it's it's not an easy sport there's a lot that goes into it uh training years of practice you know uh a lot of top professionals that do it for a living uh, they have mental health coaches Yeah. Uh, you know so that is a big aspect of it and uh i believe that's what kept me strong through times like that that was kind of my crutch you know what i mean
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I love how, I love the statement you said, you're not a product of your environment, you're a product of your choice, right? And for you, you had the awareness to really decipher, is this going to serve me if I go down that path or is this going to hurt me?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, granted, you know, at the time, uh, it, it still hurt me, uh, of course, you know, losing a mother, uh, you know, the way I looked at it and still look at it to this day is, you know, my, my mom passed away when I was like eight and she granted, she's still alive, but wait, yeah. hold
0: on. So, okay. So she passed away at eight, but she's still alive. <clears throat> Please touch on this. Yeah. yeah. Is... To elaborate on
1: that, to make it make a little more sense. Yeah, um, The, the mom that, that I remember that was loving, caring, uh picture perfect mother, uh, she she's gone. She's been gone since you know, like the the age of eight or nine. Yeah. Since then, it's been a completely different person. She's she's almost possessed. You know, so it's almost as if something's possessed her. Right. You know, yeah. so completely different person. Yeah. Um, yeah like till this day, uh, it's, shoot, it's probably been a decade or more since I've talked to my mom. Yeah. I understand that yeah trust me I <laughs> talking to someone who understands
0: I feel that like, no for sure um what do you feel cause that that had to make you grow up fast especially being an older brother to a sister yeah which I I definitely understand that as well yeah like how did how did growing up in a situation like that just like not mature you but make you completely have to grow up fast
1: yeah it was uh you know it was interesting um my dad ended up moving back to Vegas. Uh, the, my mom was gone at that point. They had gone through the divorce, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much, man, uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, here I am, a sixteen-year-old kid in high school, living in a, a pretty pretty decent-sized home. Uh, it's a small country town, so houses out there were cheap. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so. Um sixteen years old by yourself, right? By myself, yeah. So, you know, the only the only upside on on that was uh I moved into the master bedroom.
0: <laughs> so I had
1: a master bedroom at sixteen. Um no it was you know, it was tough at times. Uh especially at, at that age, you know, you're going through a lot of different things. Uh you're becoming a young adult, you know, you're close to eighteen, you know, getting ready to graduate, high school, uh You know, so growing up at that age, uh, you know, it kind of forces you to to mature a little bit quicker in Mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. You know, granted, you know, I I wasn't fully, fully on my own as far as, like, providing, like, paying bills and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: dad, Dad still helped you out a little bit, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, He would still uh, help me out. As far as, like, making sure that I had money for groceries and, you know, yeah. gas and stuff. But, but
0: Pops is an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah. You're not seeing each other regularly. It's more so you by yourself. Yeah, 100%. Yeah,
1: yeah. so, uh, you know, at most I'd talk to him maybe, like, once a week. Yeah. Uh, you know. But, uh, yeah, the, with, like, the money and stuff he gave me, the uh, majority of it would go to my dirt bike. Yeah. Uh, I would. Yeah, I would use it for gas money for for to go ride. Yeah. Uh, and I would even drive to the track sometimes when I wasn't supposed to, uh, which was in Mesquite, which was about, like, 35, 40 minutes away. Damn. So, uh, and for practice, it's 30 bucks, and he'd give me, like, 200 bucks, like, every, like, three weeks to a month, so yeah, that wouldn't go very far if you're no. to the track all the time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, all right, you're 16,
0: living on your own, you're getting ready to graduate. You're falling in love with your true passion of motocross. Like that's been your main focus. All the money you get, it goes into that. When, yeah. When you were telling, because there's a point that I want to get to that we talked about is where motocross turned out not to be the path.
1: Yeah, man. Um, and this this is
0: tough. I was an athlete growing up, I was baseball, like I understand the mental clarity like when I was going through things like my coach told me when you step across the white lines, there's nothing else but this when you get on the track, there's nothing else but that
1: yeah yeah man it was uh you know it was tough during while they like while my parents were going through the divorce because at one my mom tried to get her bike sold stuff like that, but luckily like yeah, I tried to take the one thing away from me that I, I truly loved. Um, luckily, that didn't happen. So, like racing, kind of slowed down quite a bit during that time because, uh, you know, my dad' lawyer fees, stuff like that, like dealing with court. You know, uh, it did get to a point where uh, he he eventually stopped racing, so that I could still continue. You know what I mean? And he loves it just as much as I do. So I know that wasn't easy for him. So he made a big sacrifice in that aspect. But uh, yeah, I went probably about a good year and a half, two years of probably not being able to race. And uh, when I moved back to Vegas my senior year, uh, I actually you know rekindled a friendship with a, a kid I grew up with racing against and stuff like that. And he was really good as well. Uh, we, we ended up going to the same high school in Vegas. And uh, so I started hanging out with him a lot. And uh, one of his big sponsors that, you know, funded his racing and stuff like that, uh, started going and practicing with them and stuff and riding. And he, he actually picked me up as well. And he was helping me out. Got me a pretty big sponsorship and stuff. And he was helping me out with bikes and paying for my races. And, you know, things were looking really good. And uh, just, you know, the... The about a couple months before, like I was gonna enter the next race season in the in the pro class, uh, I was doing this like one off pro race in in Mesquite, and I was riding really good. I was feeling really good. I was flowing. Uh, you know, I was I was at the peak of my performance. And I was I was 18 years old, so this was uh just after I graduated high school, and uh, I actually during the second practice of that race that I was at uh someone had on the back side of a a jump so it was like a the the landing was blind because it was a step down Mm -hmm. so like you couldn't see the landing until you went off the lip Gotcha. someone had hit a a hay bale into the track uh i don't know if another rider like knocked it or whatever but it rolled into the landing of the track and uh the flagger on the jump wasn't paying attention to the landing or i don't know what the case was but you know it wasn't Waving caution to say, hey, you know, something in the track warned me to roll the jump or whatever. And uh, I ended up jumping and I landed right on this hay bale. And I remember it, yeah, like it was a bunk, uh, bunk and Bronco pretty much. And uh, I tried to save it and, you know, it swapped me out into a corner and I high sided into the top of the berm and I went like shoulder first into the top of this corner and uh, dislocated my shoulder, uh, partially tore my rotator cuff, broke a couple ribs. Uh, <laughs> it was tore me up, and uh, yeah, I was probably out. I was out for probably about like seven months. Seven months after right? that, yeah. Shoulders are, I don't know if you've ever heard of shoulder, but yeah, no, dude. Uh,
0: I had a rotator cuff tear myself, so
1: uh, pain in the butt. It still bothers me to this day, but it, it's not as bad. But if I sleep on it weird, like it'll wake up sore, yeah, you know what I mean. So, uh, when that happened, I wasn't. I wasn't riding or racing for for almost a year and uh you know that friend that I rekindled a friendship with that helped me get that sponsor we we kind of had a falling out Mm. as well and uh we basically got to a point where I had to give the bikes back yeah and for the first time in my life uh in in pretty much you know 19 years I guess you could say because I've been riding pretty much my whole life I was 19 but for the first time in my life I I didn't have a bike and you know I'm at a 19 you know i'm fully on my own so you know i uh instead of working harder and going to make as much money as i can to buy myself a new bike like i felt bad for myself and you know uh started hanging out with <clears throat> some uh friends i grew up with as well that rose out partying and stuff like that and uh the age of 20, I, I drank for the very first time. <laughs> so I pretty much my, almost my, you know, whole life without drinking until it was legal for me. Yeah. And, um, excuse me, but uh, yeah, the partying days started to consume me at that point. Instead of me, uh, you know, pursuing what I loved and uh, not feeling bad for myself and, you know, making something out of it, you know, I went down a rabbit hole for a little bit. Mm. And uh, I guess you could say a bit of a late bloomer in that instance because most people are drinking in high school and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So
0: yeah, that's for sure. I yeah, so
1: that. I got pretty wild there for a bit, partied pretty uh, like pretty frequently all the time, and you know uh, that that led to you know me hitting rock bottom and stuff. And twenty uh, first birthday, three months after that, you know I got arrested for DUI. Um, granted, it was. You know, I got off lucky. got reduced to reckless driving, but, um, it, I was speeding. Uh, I blew point two over the legal limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what helped me out a lot. That was uh, honest with the cop. Uh, right. she asked if I was drinking. I didn't lie. I said, yeah, yeah." you know, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm very respectful and honest to her the whole time. And, uh, she actually wrote that in the, the victim complaint or whatever for the judge. So that, I think that's what helped me out the most. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I actually sat in jail for two two days. Or yeah, yeah, it was a. Uh, I don't remember got staff in there though. Nice. I had a cut on my leg and uh, I touched my leg or something and yeah, came out had staff. Freaking, it was like a freaking hole in my leg. It looked like a flesh-eating disease, which is what it is. And uh, <laughs> so that was. Uh, I got a scar on my body to to remind myself of those times. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it was, you know, I remember I felt like such a loser coming out of jail. Um, granted, you know, I didn't do any other time after that. I, I got off with just doing community service, paid a bunch of fines and stuff like that. But. Right.
0: So when you were, like, when you were 19, you just go through this accident, you lose your sponsorship. Did you feel, like, I'm, I'm assuming, like, your identity was... All racing, like yeah. you, uh, Alec is racing, like that. Uh, so, how did it feel at that age? To just have your identity, just kind of, just like stripped from you in a way. Yeah,
1: no, it sucked. Um, it was, it was a pretty crappy feeling, you know. And I feel like I was just drowning that and hiding that in the partying. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, deep down and in the back of my mind, you know, I was always thinking about that. And, do you think maybe? Do you think?
0: you fell into, like, a victim mentality for yourself? Did you talk, like, how was your self-talk like?
1: Oh, yeah, I definitely fell into a victim mentality. You know, I felt, like I said, I felt bad for myself rather than, you know, saying, hey, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, if, if you really wanted that bad, go out and get it. Go go and do it for yourself, you know. But at that age and going through all the different trials and tribulations growing up in life, um, you know, I, I did feel mad for myself when I shouldn't have, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, what I went through sucked, and it, I wouldn't want anyone to, to really experience that, but there's always somebody out there that's got it worse than, than I had it. And, right. you know, uh, at the time, I didn't realize it. You know, I obviously, it's like, oh, poor me, poor this, but in reality, it's like, hey, take it for what it is, and, you know, uh, if you want to change it, if you want to do something about it, then do something about it.
0: For people that... Cause- it's tough, man. Athletes, any professional sport, you have to be 1% one percent of 1% to get to the upper echelon of what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it um, with a lot of people I grew up with is once they lose that identity at such a young age, as something they're so passionate about, what, what kind of advice would you share to someone who... they they didn't make it where they wanted and they don't know what they're gonna do next and they're they're in that victim mentality or just feeling sorry or just just lost
1: yeah no um when something like uh, growing up being a sport like you're saying or whatever it is you know that's that's your life you know that's your that's your plan that's what you plan to do for your career whatever the case may be granted that's never forever at the end of the day too Uh, when you do something like that uh it's for example, like with me in, in racing for like motocross and stuff like that, and dirt bikes in general, um, you retire at a young age. So, you know, that's only a portion of your life. And there's r- such a small percentage of pros in this industry that actually make enough money to not have to do anything after they retire, right? Right. Yeah. A very small percentage.
0: You have to be smart with your money, too. Yeah. A, there's a lot of people that just blow their money when they get that money.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, with that, it's like, you know, uh, there's always going to be a next chapter. Yeah. You know? So, take it for what it is, and, you know, granted, it may suck in the moment, but the future's still bright. You know what I mean? You still have your whole life ahead of you. I love that. Um, so... You know, you you just got to make the most of it and and, uh, cherish the the memories and times that you had doing what you loved. And granted, you can still do it. Maybe it's not going to be at a level that you you wanted it to be or where you wanted it to be. But, you know, if you truly love it that much and you're that passionate about it, you know, you'll still continue to do it and you'll still enjoy it. You know, you got to remember why you even started doing it in the first place. Uh, when you first started doing it, you, you didn't immediately think, oh, I'm going pro or I'm going to be, you yeah. know, this could be my my living. <laughs> you know, you, you keep doing it and you get to that point because you love it and you enjoy it.
0: I love that. dude. That's great advice. So let's talk about that wave of life where you, you just, you, you sat a couple days in jail. You know, you're still dealing with this identity loss. You're doing things you're not accustomed to, partying, you know, alcohol, whatever it is. Yeah what were you doing after you got out of jail and what led you down this path of, from like you're, you're doing a bunch of construction jobs you're meeting zeke a few years later like let's go down how how we jumped from this wave of life of just partying something you're not accustomed to and then to where you got to where you're at now yeah
1: no uh, <laughs> it's funny thinking back on all of it uh thinking about how long ago it was now but uh crazy to think I'm 29 make me feel old but (laughs) hey bro I'm 27 so I don't we both old (laughs) yeah no kidding but uh yeah man you know I worked in restaurants and stuff like that and you know got into construction shortly after the the DUI incident so around so around the age of 21 I got into to construction and um you know I was still partying and stuff. I used to have to get rides to work because I my license I didn't have my license. Um I would still drive sometimes when I had to. And uh I got two tickets driving on a suspended license, <laughs> stuff like that. So it just felt like a dark cloud was hovering over me. And granted I got pulled over more times than, than the two tickets that I got. But every time they walked up to my window, I'd say my license is suspended. I'm going to work. I have no ride. I gotta get to work. Mm-hmm. Before they'd even say anything, yeah, you know, I'd just tell on myself. And they were just like, look at me, and they're like, dude, all right, all right. I, thank you for being honest. Thank because when they run your license plate, they they see all your information already. Oh, 100%. They, they, already they already know. That's why they pulled me over. Yeah. I wasn't pulled over because I was speeding. I, I got pulled over because they knew. Yep. They were seeing, hey, is Alec driving this car? If he is. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there's a couple times where they're like, pull over into this parking lot, I'm following you there, leave the car there, have someone pick you up. And Zeke was one of those people that actually picked me up a couple times uh, when I had to leave my car and he would drive my car back to where it needed to go. But, um, yeah, man, it, it got to a point to where, you know, I didn't even have a bank account. I was cashing my checks at a casino. Um, yeah, I just freaking went down a rabbit hole of just, like, dude, it was just, like, dark times, like, rock bottom, like, type of wow. stuff. And, you know, I'd live paycheck to paycheck because I'd blow it all and partying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even in construction, like, I would stay up all night partying on a Sunday or a Wednesday or Thursday in Vegas, you know. Oh, so, man. you know, that goes and stay up all night. I go work 10-hour day, 12 hour day, 8 hour day in the midst of summer or something, on no sleep, throwing up off the side of a, a, a building or something, and then going back to work and, you know, just put myself through torture. Yeah. You know, I don't know how I did it. Thinking, thinking back on it now, I'm just like, whatever. I, I was wild for I took a decade off my life, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it just, uh, you know, I did that for quite a few years until, probably, I was about, like, 25, 26, where, you know, I I looked in the mirror one day, and, you know, I just didn't like who I saw anymore, um, from not just a physical standpoint, but, like, mentally as well, you know, I'd always gone to the gym, but drinking and partying all the time, like, you know, you can only be in such good shape, Yeah. you know, and, uh, so one day, I just woke up, and, uh, I kind of just went cold turkey, and I just stopped partying, stopped going out with like all my friends, and stayed just stayed in and focused on on me, and went to the gym every day. I got in really really good shape, like I was, <laughs> it was probably the best shape of my life, um, six pack, like shredded, <laughs> you know. But I, I cut everything out, and I actually lost some friends because of that. Uh, they would hit me up to go out, and I was like, yeah, no. Nope. You know, granted, there were a few times I went out, but I wouldn't drink. I would mm-hmm. just hang out like I used to do back in the day. And, uh, you know, I kind of just turned my life around at that point. And, uh, you know, I just was focusing on what I was doing for work. And eventually, you know, got myself another bike again from working construction. And I was, at, I was 26, 27 at the time when, when, I, when I got to that point where I was like, I want to ride again. You know what I mean yeah. so i went went quite a few years without, without riding yeah. like not even touching a bike or thinking about a bike or you know so finally did did the damn thing and you know uh made enough money to where I could you know go and finance one yeah. went and got one you know ended up getting you know obviously my license and stuff fixed uh, started to started turn my life around fix the things that I need to correct. you know got a got a brand new truck and Things were looking good. You know, I was finally to a point where I was, like, proud of myself in a way. Uh, coming from where I came from and having nothing, to so losing everything and, you know, being at rock bottom, feeling like a loser. I was a loser, honestly, for sure. Looking back on it now and talking about it, I was definitely a loser. I wasn't doing anything good with my life. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, sacked up and, you know, uh, made it happen and turned it, turned it around and, you know, I just got to a point where I was just like sick of going out all the time, partying all the time. It was like, um, uh, yeah, granted, you know, I made some pretty cool memories for sure. <laughs> That's pretty wild stories. No doubt about that. But, you know, uh, it, it just wasn't worth it. And, you know, I finally was able to see that and yeah. I was like, you know, I'm done with this stuff and. You know, I met Zeke around the age of, I think I was like 22 or so. Yeah, so I've known Zeke quite a while, about seven, seven, eight years or so. Um, From a a friend, he was dating this girl that I'd known for a really long time. So uh, that's how I met Zeke. And we just hit it off. We partied our asses off together. And, uh, you know, uh, I saw him at rock bottom. I helped him through rock bottom he actually lived with me for a little bit um while he's gone through his trials and tribulations but um uh, yeah man I uh you know turned my life around had a always had a killer work ethic like even with like partying and stuff and all that like still showing up I'd still, still show getting, up to work yeah. still getting it done yeah I remember some coworkers workers uh, like on the job sites they, they'd ask me if, are you drinking tequila? <laughs> That's exactly what I was drinking. Yeah. How do you know? He's like, you smell like a fucking tequila bar. <laughs> I love it. Mom. But uh, yeah, I was, so going through times like that, and uh, yeah, man, it was just this opportunity, uh, you know, in construction and stuff. It's taught me good work ethic because you gotta, if you don't work hard, you you don't have a job, essentially, right? Yeah, definitely. So. With that, you know, uh, that's something that's really helped me with where I'm at today right now is why I work so hard as well. And, you know, in construction, I I was always a hard worker, but I talked a lot. I was a social butterfly. I've always liked talking to people. I've always I've always socialized. Right. So I'd always kind of get, like, shit from my bosses. Like, hey, stop talking. go Get back to work. You know what I mean? Like, but they liked me because I worked hard. Right. But there's times where it's like, hey, talk to them later. Like, dude, you got, we, you got we're in a rush. Got we got to do. go. We got to go. We got to go. You know what I mean? And uh, so once I kind of, with the pandemic and stuff, that slowed construction down tremendously. And, you know, I worked through the pandemic, luckily. And then work was kind of on and off, all that stuff. And that's when Zeke had given me a call when I was on that petition blitz. Came out to McAllen uh, with you guys, met all you guys. And uh, my very first day on the doors, I remember Zeke had a last-minute meeting, and I had to take him to the airport at 6 in the morning. Mm. So my very first day, I had a car group. Oh, that's – yeah. Yeah. You're leading people. You're dropping people off in the neighborhood. Little little ass backwards. (laughs) I'm like – First day on the doors leading four or five people. Yeah, because he he left his his, – Forerunner with me nope. and uh yeah man I, I remember dropping everyone off and me getting out the car last i'm sitting there and you know kind of going over the pitch in the in the car for a minute and i'm i'm the type of person like i could read something a hundred times i ain't gonna retain you know. crap <laughs> i'm so like you gotta AD read hd it. and like yeah. like yeah, like, in school, you'll be reading a question. Sally had 10 apples. What am I going to do later after school? Shit, wait, i got to read the question again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, like, squirrel. So I'm like, at one point, I'm just like, okay, i just got to get out of the car and go do it. So, like, I got out, started hitting some doors. First day, granted, it was really rough. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I get out the car last. I don't shadow anybody. I'm just throwing to the wolves. And uh, that was Zeke's plan the whole time because him and I are very similar uh, he he knew I'd figure it out. And um, first day was rough. Second day got better. Third day uh, something just clicked for me. And the third day I remember within the first hour I set three appointments. Bills like just right I was like, all right, we're doing the damn thing. You know what I mean? And. Um, just took off running from there i I remember i think the first week uh out there ever doing anything sales related door-to-door related, anything uh as far as what this job entails related uh i ended up i think i did like five deals that first week and uh you know that was the first this is the first time i've ever Felt like I was born to do something like I was made for sales Like I've had so many small subtle hints and stuff like that throughout my life like for example, what I was telling you about at construction like my job like How I would always get in trouble for talking too much. Well now I get paid to do it now I get paid <laughs> to talk to people, you know what I mean? Yeah. and it's provided me the freedom not only financially but mentally and spiritually and just like all around like it's provided me freedom that I've Craved my whole life and the, the cool thing about it is, like, I've, I've always known I've been destined for greatness, and, like, other people, you know, that I've been around in, in life, whether it's older individuals or that's helped me through construction or whatever, like, they've seen something in me as well, and they've always, you know, expected great things out of me.
0: I can definitely attest to that, bro. Um, you know, Kobe said it, like, Lewis Howes talks about greatness, and greatness is inspiring others to do something great while you're doing something great that you're passionate about. And uh I can definitely attest to that, man. You're definitely a true inspiration. Watching you when you came in and just hit the bat running, like, I got jealous. I was like, damn, this this dude stepped in. <laughs> I've been here, like, six, seven months running this, and he's blowing me out the water. But it was really, like, amazing to see because you're definitely, one, someone who truly, truly deserves it. Appreciate the work ethic definitely, like... It's sickening, and I love it. I love it. Um, Tell me, because what people don't know is your true success in this job. You just hit your one year in door-to-door sales. You never did door-to-door sales, never done any sales, and you cleared well over six figures your
1: first year. Uh, Yeah, so uh, my first year, uh, technically, yeah, because the year just hit, so... Technically, uh, you know, when I moved out here last year after the blitz on McAllen, uh, I remember I flew back home, packed all my stuff up in two days, and loaded my truck up and moved from Las Vegas to 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 Austin, Texas. Texas. So I moved my whole life out here, burned all my bridges back home, you know, and I took that chance on myself, gambled, and I left a career behind, you know, and uh, came out here with some savings, and granted a seven hundred dollar truck payment, dirt bike, you know, like I had bills. Bills 100%. you know, and uh I I came out here and, you know, I I just put my head down and I I worked as hard as I could, like just balls to the wall for probably a solid like three and a half, four months to where I was just like killing myself. Mm. And uh it paid off in the end because it got me to a point where, you know, I was the most financially stable I've ever been in my life and uh, so I basically from like the middle of March of last year till December to the end of the year uh, you know I moved up to a closer in a month and a half I pumped out 32 deals in a month and a half so I moved up to a closer and uh, then started closing and Granted, I'd get my feet wet in that. Obviously, you know it's a whole different animal. That's yeah, a different. That's a different thing for sure. Yeah. So my first quarter with closing, I did did ten deals, and then the the, the next quarter I I did twenty four, and then the quarter after that, that I did thirty five. So uh, you can see where I, I caught my stride. Like I figured it out, and you know by the time December hit uh, last year, I. And uh, I would say roughly in eight months, I, I cleared uh 140K. Yeah.
0: First year, not yeah. even full year, eight months, cleared 140K. Yeah. I just want to let you just take inventory, looking back of everything we've talked about and looking where you are now, because I don't think you've done that recently.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, Where, where like, just
0: looking back, like, from that... Thirteen, fourteen-year-old going through those struggles with their, with your parents, sixteen on your own, losing your true passion at nineteen, going through that wave of just alcohol and partying, to taking a massive risk and chance on yourself, to a hundred and forty thousand dollars in in eight months, yeah. like looking back at all that, like how does that make you feel?
1: It feels, yeah. Surreal, I guess. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, it's funny because me and my girlfriend were actually talking about it. uh, This couple days ago, um, talking about what I used to do for work like a a year and a half ago. You know what I mean? And uh, what my annual salary with a job like that, just working normal 40s, it's like 55, 60K at most. Right? So... Granted, we work a lot of overtime. That's how construction is. That's where you make most of your money. Yep. Um, so granted, I never made just 55 k right. But putting that into perspective with what I made in eight months last year would take me like two years of work in the other industry in construction to even come close to making that. And like putting that into perspective is just like it's mind-blowing because you're just like it's it's crazy what this this job this opportunity provides for you and uh that's what I love about it so much is you know it, it helps me grow in so many different aspects of my life and it's helped me grow in so many different aspects of my life you know not just mentally not just financially but like spiritually like all around like it's made me a better person and it's you know I'm one I'm percent better every day and if you're one percent better every day, you know three hundred and sixty five days in a year each and every year you're three hundred and sixty five percent better and that's what this job does for me and it's awesome I love it you know I don't feel like a work a day in my life anymore, and what I love most about this is there is no cap on what you can make it's what are you willing to to put into it what are what are you what do you think you're worth mm. what is your value mm. and you know that's a huge motivation to me because you know i do think about all the time of why i'm here and how i'm here and why i work so hard i don't want to go back to construction no way at home so that is that fear of just not wanting to go back to that is what drives me and keeps me going
0: man i love that that was First off, I want to say thanks, bro. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing all that all that wisdom, too. You dropped some. If you guys missed it, some key points that I took, man. You're not a product of your environment. You're a product of your choice. And if you grow 1% every day, 365%, one year can change your whole life. That and, is. Uh, man, I'm so glad I got to kick back the show off after a long layoff with that. Dude, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you, dude. I, I'm your brother. I love you to death. Love you too, man. And um, I love y'all. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, thanks again, bro.